Well, this morning, the message that I have is uh, kind of a twofold one, in that there's no excuses. <laughs> no excuses. And one of the um, emphasizing points is that we, we are being prepared. It isn't that, I, I think, excuses sometimes come out. I didn't know that. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure that was going to happen. I didn't know who was going to be. You know, all those, there's a whole lot of variables that come into not making decisions or not being prepared. Well, I think that God has given us some admonitions that we are to basically find out what his will and his programs are, his program, his philosophy, his word is saying to us. And so in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 through 31, I have not, I, excuse me, I, 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 no, it's verse 31, there's a comma there, and it's not an I. <laughs> so I'm reading one as an I, sorry. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is he weary? He is understanding, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, but the young, but the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint." So there's the challenge given to us by Isaiah uh, uh, about this relationship that we are to have with God. That God, he is the one, the everlasting Lord. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint. He doesn't grow weary. He's not tired. <laughs> there's a, a story of a, a guy, uh, uh, you know, he's a multimillionaire, billionaire. And he, he needs to come up with three and a half million for a project that he wants to do. So he goes, to the, he goes to the church, and he goes to the place of prayer, and there he's praying, and he's telling, you know, God, I need three and a half million. I can't find people. I can't find people. And somebody comes up and says, I need lunch money. I need money for lunch. He says, he gives him $50 and tells him, go buy lunch. And then he says, now, God, can I have your undivided attention? <laughs> he thought the guy asking for lunch money was interrupting God. All right. So I just wanted you to know that's what the gist of the joke was. Yeah. Okay, it wasn't funny. All right, so, <laughs> so there is a story which is a true story. I read about an eight-year-old boy who grew up in Kansas in the early 1900s. During the winter, he and his brothers would go to school early to light the wood fire in the large potbelly stove in the classroom so it would be warm when the rest of the students arrived. But one day, someone accidentally put gasoline in the kerosene container that he used to start the wood fire. The next morning, when he lit the match, there was a huge explosion. His brother was instantly killed. The teacher found this little boy unconscious but alive, with the lower half of his body severely burned. He lost all the flesh on his knees and shins and the toes on his left foot. His mother was told that if he did make it, he would never be able to walk again. And the doctors recommended amputating, amputating his legs. But this little boy was a fighter, and against all odds, he survived. He made up his mind that he would not only going to walk again, but he told everyone that one day he would run again. 
His favorite scripture was the one that we just read. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. As an eight-year-old boy, he believed that he could defy the odds. Months later, he was sent home from the hospital with no movement in his legs. The doctors advised the parents to massage his legs, to stretch the muscles, and try to restore some movement to his lower limbs. Every day, his mother would take him outside in the wheelchair so he could get some sunshine. One afternoon, when she wasn't watching, he grabbed onto the picket fence and pulled himself up. Stake by stake, he began to drag himself along. He did this day after day, teaching himself how to walk again. Two years after the accident, he stood up for the first time. Not long after that, he was not only walking, but he began to run and became extremely fast. In college, on the track team, he won so many medals, he became known as the Kansas Flyer. In 1934, Glenn Cunningham, the young man who had been told he'd never walk again, broke the world record for the mile. <laughs> so his favorite scripture is, they that wait upon the Lord. So waiting upon the Lord is not just sitting down and like waiting for supper. Is it ready yet? <laughs> you know, you're going to serve, is it to serve me? I'm here, you know. Ruth doesn't get that at the hospital. You know, hey, hey, hurry up. Yeah, I'm sitting down here. I want, I want to feed me here, ladies. Well, waiting upon the Lord implies that we are expecting, we are expecting, faith, we are expecting God to help us or be there. It's an attitude of expectation. Waiting and without expecting is just wasting time. <laughs> so we are expecting God to do something. We are expecting something to happen. So to wait on God, it means that we wait for his help. That is, we trust him for his help. He, we put our hope in him and our confidence in him. So to wait upon God, then, is putting trust and hope and patience, confidence, that we know that God is going to come through for us. And, you know, we don't hear that in the story of Joseph. But I think that somewhere in this whole situation, he understood that God was working in his life and that perhaps these dreams that he had. Now, we, we spoke about this, that um, Joseph never had a direct message like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his father, grandfather, and great-grandfather, where God came and spoke to them. Joseph never had that. He had dreams. And his dreams didn't come back and back many times over. He just had two dreams that really didn't see them come to fruition until 13 years later, whenever he uh, becomes uh, second in command to Pharaoh. But even then, the reality doesn't sink in as to what was going on. So perhaps tw um, 20 years later, whenever the drought comes, 22 years later, when the, his brothers show up and they bow down before him, the reality of that waiting on God, suddenly, like, oh, wow, my dreams, they came past. So in our lives, we are waiting. <laughs> waiting for what? Just waiting for the passing of time? Are we waiting for another birthday? <laughs> you know, I, I can't wait till I turn 100. 
That's a long way off. But anyhow, <laughs> that's next year, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm coming along, but not that fast. But uh, we find that we are waiting, and sometimes we have goals, we have places that we are expecting things that we want to happen. So it is appropriate to those who are in circumstances, difficult circumstances, people who are in danger or in want or in need, that we are waiting upon God. We are waiting that God would provide what we need. So waiting on God for healing or waiting on God for, um, for blessings. I mean, I'm sure I told you this one. The, the lady was always, you know, she was very poor, but she went to church and she believed in God and, and her neighbor was, um, uh, you know, an atheist. He didn't believe in God. He was always, you know, giving her a hard time. And so he heard the lady praying for food. And uh, so she's praying that God would give her food. And so he decides he's going to give her food. <laughs> he goes out and buys her food and puts it on her refrigerator. I mean, puts it on the front porch. And she comes out and she's praying God, praising God for bringing her food. And he steps out and says, God didn't bring that to you. I did. And she says, thank you, God. You can even use the devil. <laughs> you can even use the devil to answer prayers, you know. So... I didn't tell you that one? Oh, good, I got one. Oh, wow. <laughs> Boy, I'm thankful. Inspiration. <laughs> so, but uh, those who look for God to uh, place himself between them and the problem. We're, wait, we're looking for God to be the solution. And here we are, we're approaching the end, we are in the end, end times. We're waiting for God to return. We're waiting for the, the trump of God to, shout, to the trump of God to sound, and the dead in Christ will rise. We which are alive will be caught up to meet Him in the air. We are close to that event in 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 our time frame. So, here it properly refers to when they that wait upon the Lord. Uh, Isaiah is it's properly referring to Israel, who were suffering a long and grievous captivity in Babylon. And it appeared that they would never get out of this captivity. But <laughs> they had no prospect except for God to answer their prayers and to deliver them. So this phrase, though, that is, they that wait upon the Lord, is also applicable for those who would feel weak, those who would feel guilty or helpless. In view of, this, uh, in view of all these difficulties, they put their trust in God. They trust God. Trust in, you know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Don't lean upon what you think is going to happen. Trust in God for what you believe God wants to happen. What is it that God is going to do in this situation in my life? If he has brought me here, he has brought me here with a purpose. If he has not interrupted the difficult things in my life, to bring me here, then he has a purpose in bringing me here, just like Joseph. So tr trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. The, uh, see, this is the point where how often do we give thanks to God and acknowledge God in our daily life? Things go wrong, things go good, doesn't matter. We are to be acknowledging God and thanking him for being here with us, protecting, providing, sustaining. This is always what God can do in our life. And he will direct your path, that there is 
<laughs> there is something about direction. Now, <clears throat> if you're traveling and you have a GPS um, thing, you know, GPS in your global positioning satellite, you have a, 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 a system in your car or on a, your phone or whatever, it can give you directions, it can help you with the map. You know, one of the things whenever we were traveling, you know, to a motorhome, and um, I always, I, I would say, turn left here, turn right there. But I needed a picture of the, the state. <laughs> I wanted to see where we were at in the state, not where our next turn is, and how does this next turn take me to the destination, because they can have the same name but the wrong state <laughs> in the GPS, you know, and you're going to the wrong place. Well, we know that our trust in the Lord is that he has the bigger picture. He knows what's going on in our life. So trust is relying upon God's wisdom. Trust is relying upon God's wisdom. The first, one of the first um, um, GPS systems I had, you know, you plugged it in the car and told it where you were going and typed it in and and if, and if I wanted to go a different direction, it would, you know, I would go the direction I wanted, and it would say, recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. And about after four or five times, it would tell me, there is a better way, you know. <laughs> so the challenge is for us that, you know, sometimes we're looking at where we're going, and we'd say, God, you know, there is a better way. And the challenge for us is to trust in God's wisdom and his goodness and his divine promises of what he is going to do. Lean not on your own understanding. We, we, are, we are not ordinary people. We are extraordinary. Why? Because we are God's child. Um, we often lean towards our understanding. We lean towards what we would consider how things should be done, how we perceive them to be. But God knows all, he sees all, and he has a plan. And what's he going to do? He is going to direct the path. In all thy ways, make a God part of every thought, every uh, decision that we make. We are asking God to direct our decisions, direct our path. It's, it's something how that you can not go, you know, you're going to go somewhere and you change your mind and go someplace else and, th and then whenever you get there, there's people there you need to talk to. <laughs> and you would have missed them. And they would have never had, you would have never been there for that interaction. So that interaction was more important than you fulfilling what you perceive to be the ordinary way that we do things. Acknowledge him means to know him or own him. That we own him. <laughs> he is our God. He is our Savior. That he belongs to us and we belong to him. We are, we are part of this, this um, calculation. We're part of this scenario. He shall direct thy path. The path, he will direct your steps. The steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. So when we start putting the promises and the uh, acknowledgement and waiting on God, expecting God. We have this attitude of expectation. We have this attitude that God is going to direct us and he's going to take care of us on the path. So the promises or assurance here is universal in its nature. It's universal. 
that those who are gods can, can be, are, directed by God. And it is applicable to his people, whether they are the children of Israel or whether it is the church. Um, they that wait on the Lord is looking for him to help. Know the word. If we don't know the scriptures, how can we know what God is speaking to us? Because he will emphasize, God will emphasize his word to our hearts and lives. He will emphasize the, the, the truths that are in his, in his word. He will emphasize those truths in our life. So it is evident for those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What does it speak of? It speaks of renewing. It speaks of reviving. It speaks of increase. It speaks of restoration, to restore what has been lost or what has decayed. It means that the people of God who trust in him shall be strong in faith. Faith is the, faith is the belief, you know, the substance of things hoped for. The faith that we have is in Jesus Christ and what he has promised to us. They will be able to contend with their spiritual foes. <laughs> that the enemy that cries to attack our thoughts and our dreams and our, and our attitudes and what we think is the de devil's doing this. Uh, no, what is God doing? How is God working through us? How is God able to gain the victory? He gives us strength if we seek him. You see, <laughs> we are, <laughs> and uh, this has been something... Um, that has been a, 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 um, an inspiration for me, is you're reading the, the New Testament and you're reading the scriptures. These individuals are eyewitnesses. They are eyewitnesses to Jesus. In the Gospels, John, is, you know, and all the Gospels, they, they were eyewitnesses to Jesus, to his life, his death, his resurrection, they were eyewitnesses to him being alive after his resurrection, before he ascended into heaven. These are eyewitness accounts, and they are telling us what Jesus did in those moments, in that time frame. And so we have these promises, like from Isaiah. Isaiah didn't see it, but he understood it. He understood that, that God is faithful. He understood that if we wait upon God, he can make the impossible happen. They, they were in captivity in Babylon, but they believed that God would provide a redemption. Who would ever thought that the redemption from Babylon would be another empire, <laughs> the, the Medes and the Persians? But they actually were the deliverer of the children of Israel from, from Babylon because their philosophy was send them home, let them go home to their homelands. So... We have eyewitnesses. And this scenario of they shall mount up with wings as eagles. You know, uh, I, there are, um, how can I say it? There are lots of ideas about eagles and so on. One, one commentary, one I think it was an older commentary, said they, eagles live up to be 100 years old. I thought, wow, that's pretty old. But the newer commentaries, uh, you know, on the websites for eagles, they can live anywhere from 30 to 50, 50 years old in captivity. And they, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. That the, the eagle, I always thought it in the context, 
they reach a certain age, they, they molt, their, fo- their feathers fall off, and they grow, grow new ones. Well, the site that I was on spoke about how that they are continuously getting rid of the old feathers and growing new ones. So it doesn't happen all at once. You know, some animals, they will molt, they will, you know, shed their feathers and they're just, <laughs> they're, they're at the um, um, disposal of any, any of their predators. Well, not the, not the eagle. It continues to grow, shed feathers and grow about every two years. And it sheds some, grows some. And you can never tell the age of an eagle by its feathers. They always look the same. <laughs> Whether they're um, 10 years old or whether they're 30 years old, they look the same because they always have this renewal of their, of their feathers. That they can fly up to 1,000 a, a feet or 10,000 feet. <laughs> um, they can travel great distances. I remember one, one thing that I read years ago. They have the ability to track themselves back to where they were born or, or, or to the nest by the pressure in their eyes, the barometric pressure in their eyes, not from the, the storms, but from the, I guess it would be the magnetic uh, fields in, on the earth, that somehow in there that they can be, you know, get caught away in a storm, but yet they can find their way back to their nest just by the pressure in their eyes. So all those things, and they can see, um, was it five times greater than we can, and they can lift um, up to 10 pounds, I believe. Um, they themselves only don't weigh that much more. That the female is heavier than the male. <laughs> so, um, but anyhow, they have all these things. And so the scriptures, though, take on this understanding about us. They that wait upon the Lord, they have a continual strength going on, a continual renewal of their strength. They don't just molt and then get old. <laughs> they are continually in that whole process of renewal. They are in a renewal process. Uh, it takes about two years, I believe, but they have earned this process of, of renewing themselves and renewing their feathers. And so the challenge is that we are in a process of renewal. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. <laughs> all of these scriptures point to this idea about where we are and what we are to do. Uh, Philippians or Romans says 517 for if one man's offense means that men should be slaves to death all their lives it is far greater thing that through the another man Jesus Christ men by their acceptance of his of his more than sufficient grace and righteousness should live all their lives like kings but more than the sufficient the acceptance of his more than sufficient grace. Our acceptance of his more than sufficient grace. His grace is greater than our sins. His grace is his unmerited favor. His grace is our continual renewal that goes on in our life. Now, um, one of the things that I, I thought of, well, I was trying, okay, what's the story? We can go with this one. How do we put this together? And I was thinking of David. King David, he's not a king all the time, he's a kid. <laughs> and um, one of the, always had the impression, you know, David was kind of a, you know, uh, well, we know that he's a ruddy kid, 
he's, red, he's red-haired, <laughs> and that he is kind of the small, smaller side, um, but he, he is, now I don't know how far all this goes, but in one of the traditions, um, his father has this complex that he has seven sons, and he and his wife are not, uh, not uh, uh, for lack of better terms, they don't get along. Well, anyhow, he kicks her out. This is a story. It's not, it's not in your Bible. This is Jewish. Here I am listening to my, my, my Jewish rabbis. And uh, according to this rabbi, he, he says that, um, the, that um, David's father is having difficulties with his identity. Is, is he really of the tribe of, of, of Judah? Is he really in the descendants? Because his great um, grandmother is Ruth, who is a Moabite, and there was some conflict whether or not Boaz was really his fa- uh, great-grandfather because he died almost one or two days after they got married. Never heard that one before, did you? So, anyhow, that, that's what the that's what these this this rabbi. There's a couple of them I listen to; they are really off. But anyhow, this guy I like him. Uh, so anyhow, he goes on. He tells about Jesse uh, having this problem understanding whether or not he came from so and so. Well, he he goes away from his wife, puts her away, and he takes he takes to himself. Um, one of his wife's handmaidens, you know, typical, typical man. I don't want you, I'll take your, I'll take your handmaid, right? As you ladies should, yay, man, that's a typical man, you know. But anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, the handmaiden says, nah, not going to do it. So in the night, wife goes in, they conceive, and anyhow, David is born. So David, he is, he is an outsider to the family. He is, he's out watching sheep. They, they, they don't pay much attention to David. So he, he doesn't grow up as a favorite child. He, <laughs> he is off watching the sheep. So when Samuel says, bring all your sons, they don't bring David in. Why? Because he isn't really considered one of the kids. You know, he, he's kind of like not part of us, but he is part of us. And so they run him off. But anyhow, we know that he gets anointed to be king. Well, then we have David's coming to Goliath. Now, David, in, in one of the senses, we find that while David is watching his sheep, he's, he's not just watching sheep and throwing stones at birds. <laughs> he, is, he is in this interaction with God. And so whenever we read in the Psalms, he, he, reads about, he talks about him being despised and rejected. You know, we think of that being despised. It's his family he's writing about. And the 23rd Psalm is a psalm that is considered that it was written in his youth, that he would have written it while he is out watching sheep. He's, and in his relationship with God, he, he is this, that he writes these psalms. And um, I have some, just one or two, because we don't have a lot of time. Um, uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 3, O oh Lord, I have so many enemies, and so many are against me. So many are saving, uh, saying, God will never rescue him. Okay? So he, he talks about the different things that go on in his life, and uh, some of the Psalms, um, 
Uh, O Lord, our Lord, your your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. So these are psalms that somehow speak of David's relationship with God. So when David comes to, sent by his father to take bread and food to his brothers in the battle, he just doesn't walk off of the, walk out of the um, field watching his sheep and go up there and say, I'm going to fight Goliath. No, he's, he's been with God and he's understood God and he's killed the lion and the bear. He's been, he's, you know, they've aroused something inside of him that they're not going to take my sheep. They're not going to kill my lambs because I'm the shepherd. Well, when Goliath speaks up and says, you know, I defy your God and I'm against you and I'm against your religion and your God and I'm God or whatever, what happens to David? He has this same indignation inside of him <laughs> that says, this guy's got to come down just like it was with the lion and the bear. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That David already had been waiting on God while he was a shepherd. He knows the, the fellowship that he has with God, and he's even been writing some of his psalms. And some of the psalms that we read, he's been writing or penned some of the ideas and later wrote them. But in this time that he had relationship with God in the wilderness or out there watching sheep. So who's against him? His family. He's considered basically the black sheep of the family. The, you know, the one who doesn't matter too much. He shows up at the, at the battlefield. Who doesn't like him? His brothers. They don't want him there. Who did you leave those few sheep with? Go back home. <laughs> okay? He's, he's despised there. His brothers put him down. The king. <laughs> well, somebody's got to fight. Here, put my armor on and go out and die. Maybe that'll round us up. David's, no, no, not going to be that. So those who were over him emotionally, his family, he has to overcome that. Those who were over him positionally, his king, he had to overcome them. And of course, he had to overcome somebody who was just outright better than him in battle, Goliath. So we find ourselves waiting upon God when people are seemingly against us in difficult situations. They that wait upon the Lord. So being in communion with God is not something we, ha- we, we think of when we have difficulty. We're in communion with God when things are all, you know, just their normal, everyday sheep-watching life. <laughs> and you have ever watched animals? It's boring. You know, did you ever sit outside and watch grass grow? That's what it's like <laughs> to watch sheep and to watch animals. So what happens to David? David has that desire inside of him that says, this guy's got to come down. And so David does what is unthinkable, and everybody else in the entire army had the opportunity to do, was face Goliath. And so what did he do? He decided, I'm going to go face him. Now, how many times, uh, you wonder, did people tell him, you're, you know, you're foolish, you can't do that. You're just some ruddy kid who watches, who watches sheep, and you're going to go out and get yourself killed by, you know, fighting this man of war. They, uh, Goliath, Mesh, 
that he wore on his torso weighed over 125 pounds. He's probably, that's almost as much probably as David weighed. You know, and he had a spear that weighed you know, 15 pounds or whatever. And so he, he's just a massive man who is a man of war. But David has already prepared for meeting Goliath long before he ever knew there was a Goliath. Because he found himself in communion with God. And whenever God stirred his heart, he knew that it was God. God was able to provide. And so for us, we know God is able to provide. God is able to make a way. And so what does David do? He does something that I don't think many people ever did to the Goliath. David ran towards him. Many of the people would run away from him. Not David. He picked up his stones and took his sling and he ran towards Goliath because he was not going to run away from his problem. We do not run away from things. We face them, we deal with them, knowing that God has given us the victory even before the victory is there. That's what happens when we wait upon the Lord. God will renew our strength. As your day is, so shall your strength be. <laughs> As your problems are, so will be your salvation. God is able to overcome all of those things. And so his wisdom his guidance, his faithfulness, his blessing is upon us because we are his. And so as we go through each day, we wait upon God and acknowledge that God is there. Acknowledge that God is my God and he will make a way for me, not only when there's difficulties, but when everything's going well, that God is there. I don't have to wait for a problem to pray. I can pray and praise every day. And so we are in that acknowledging of God and his presence. And so... We find that David, this ruddy kid, faces a Goliath who is nine feet, nine inches tall. Um, his mesh is about 125 pounds. The point of his spear is 15 pounds. And we find, no, his, his helmet is about 15 pounds, and 36 pounds is his spear. It's a big guy. Here comes David running at him. In the name of the Lord our God, you're coming down. <laughs> Facing our problems is not mustering up courage. Facing our problems is acknowledging that we've already been with God and God's telling us, you can do this. Take on the enemy. What is the enemy? It can be doubts. It can be fears. It can be difficulties. It can be sickness. It can be... It can be kids, <laughs> it can be grandkids, it can be parents, it can, you know, it can be neighbors. God will give us the victory. They that wait upon the Lord will renew, continually renew, just like the eagle's feathers, continually renewing and being able to soar to new heights until we soar right on into heaven. Amen? Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the prospects of eternity. We thank you for the strength that is ours. Every day we thank you for how that you watch over and keep us. We are grateful that you have called us, that you will renew us in our strength every moment of every day. And as our day is, so shall our strength be. Whatever our day calls for, God, your strength is there. We thank you for it. 
We wait expectantly on you to speak and provide and make a way. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen.